0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus.
1: 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all.
0: My name's Wes. I'm a member of our preaching team and I just want to extend a special welcome to our friends at Larimer County Corrections. If you're tuning in within the jail, we're so glad that you're here. You belong here. And this is for you, and you've been prayed for, and that is true for all of us. What we have in God's word, it is ours, and we, we belong here, and this is something that God is doing. If you're here, it's because he has a great work that he wants to do in you. He's transforming us by the power of his word. Uh, so uh, would you pray with me? I'd just like to pray before we get started today. Heavenly Father, it is so good that we get to belong to Jesus that you have made a way, that you are our resurrected Savior. And I pray that today your spirit would enliven our hearts and our minds as we look at this beautiful truth that is in your word. I pray that you would bring it to a place in our hearts and our minds where it can transform us. We need you. And we praise you that you are a God who is worth worshiping and serving and giving our lives to as we see in what you have done as we look at this text today. So Lord, bring your spirit. Open our eyes to the beautiful truth that is in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you've been with us since Easter. And if not, I'd encourage you, go back. You can check out the messages you may have missed. We started this series on Easter Sunday called Resurrection Reality. And on Easter Sunday, Zach, a member of our preaching team, he opened up looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, looking at this question, was Jesus actually resurrected? And we were kind of looking at this idea, you know, this, the, the Christian faith and the scriptures say that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he walked on this earth, he died a brutal death, and then was buried, dead, in a tomb for three days, and that he was resurrected. And, and Zach invited us into the courtroom and said, let's look at the evidence let's understand, was Jesus actually resurrected? And we looked at the, the, the evidence that is presented by Paul in this passage that, that this resurrection was predicted thousands of years in advance by Scripture, that it was witnessed by many people. The Scriptures say over 500 people got to see the resurrected Christ. They got to see a man publicly executed, brought back to life out of the grave. It was witnessed by over 500 people. And then finally, it was effective the writer of this account paul himself one of the apostles he was known for murdering the early leaders of the church he was a persecutor of god's church until he met the resurrected jesus Not only that, but Jesus, his own brother, his own half-brother James, got to meet his brother resurrected and said, surely you are, you are God. You are who you say you were. It's the biggest I told you so between two brothers ever. This is the evidence. There is evidence that Jesus himself was resurrected. And then last week we continued on with this passage and Dale looked at Paul dealing with this next question. Well, what if it isn't true? Here's all the evidence that it is true, but what if it's not true? What then? And the reality is if, if this didn't happen, the Christian faith is completely undone. And as Paul said in his words, your, your faith is, is worthless. <laughs> Our preaching is in vain. It all hinges on a man rising from the dead. Was he resurrected? We got to look at the evidence. It's overwhelming. What if it isn't true? If it's not true, then all is lost. But today, today we get to look at a great question. What if it is true? What if it really is true? What are the ramifications for us? We've seen the evidence, and again, I I hope that you can see that this is no blind faith. There is evidence we can look at. What if it really is true, Jesus really did rise from the dead? What does that mean for you and for me? This, this is beautiful. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This is a good week to be looking at the text. I'll put a lot of text up on the screen. This is such a beautiful truth. We could spend all year unpacking this. We're only going to spend about 90 minutes today. Um, that was a joke you'd need to be resurrected Uh, but today we're exploring the implications of Jesus resurrection and kind of looking at this this reality we're gonna see three different things within the word here that implications if it's true then you know there's three things that we can hang our hats on that are amazing as we look at this so look at first Corinthians 15 uh, we're gonna start at 20 to 23 if it's true then his resurrection becomes our resurrection This is good news, friends. If it is true that he was resurrected, then we also get to be resurrected. Look at verses 20 to 23. This is Paul again. He's just been dealing with this question. What if it's not true? And he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that's a a term that is used sometimes in the Bible to talk about when someone who belongs to Jesus has physically died, It just says they've fallen asleep because this resurrection life is is getting stirred up and they're not actually gone. They're just asleep and we we get to dig into that here in a minute. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. You know, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. We get this, this we receive this, we're born with this sin nature that puts us at odds with God, but just like through through Adam all, all entered death, through Christ all can enter life. And it goes on, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And this this idea of first fruits that's listed in here, Paul is using an analogy to help us understand the resurrection of Jesus that would have been very familiar to first century Jews. Because part of the law, if you dig back in the Old Testament, part of the Old Testament law, whenever they in this agricultural society began to reap from their fields, began to harvest what had what had grown and what was coming they took the first fruits they took a tent the first bit of that of that harvest and they gave it to God as an offering and it was sort of this recognition that said hey the very first the very best of what has grown we're going to give to you God and we're going to recognize and trust that the rest of the harvest is coming. And it was a way that they, that they were able to, to demonstrate this reliance upon God. You know, they did the work of tilling the field. And, 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 and there's a lot of work that goes into farming. But God is the one who makes the crops grow. He provides the rain. He provides all of the soil temperatures and everything that's needed. And so this idea of first fruits, it's from the, the, this Old Testament way of life that there, there, there was a special offering given, the very first part of the harvest. And it was established as a sign, a picture, a guarantee of what was yet to come. So Jesus' resurrection... Jesus as the first fruits, it's a sign that there is more yet to come. You and I, we get to taste this resurrection. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. He, Jesus, is just the first fruits to guarantee what's coming. And, you know, if they harvested the first fruits from the barley field of barley, they would expect the rest of what they harvest later as it continues to come in to be what? barley right yeah dumb question right yeah yeah this is a basic basic plant biology well we see jesus he performs some miracles right i mean he raised lazarus from the dead but the resurrection that lazarus received it's a little different than the one that jesus received we see jesus and we're going to unpack this more in a few weeks with another sermon but we see jesus with not the same body but a, a different kind of body this supernaturally engaged body, and it's, it's an amazing thing. He's able to, to walk through walls. He's able to do, it's a physical body, but it's, it's a kind of resurrection body that we can't even begin to imagine. And so we know that because he's the first fruits, that the kind of resurrection we have coming, it's like the kind that Jesus has. It's not Lazarus who walked out of the grave, and he was alive again, but he still needed the kind of resurrection that Jesus gave him. We have that coming. He's the first fruits, and it's amazing. But that's not all. If it's true, then his resurrection becomes our resurrection, and we get to see that Jesus is victorious. Look at this next section, verse 24 to 26. We see this Jesus is victorious. He goes on here. He says, Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We see this victory that Jesus wins. And there's, I've highlighted three particular words up here. You can see Jesus goes and he destroys all of these three kinds of, of power or authority. And so these three words, the first one is rule. He destroys every rule. And if we unpack these words a little bit, we'll get a better sense a better sense of the kind of victory that Jesus has won, this, this victorious reign that Jesus has. And this first word, rule, it comes from the Greek word arche, and it means ruler or office of power. It's not a particular person. He's not saying, hey, hey I, like he's victorious over a particular ruler. He's saying every position of rule every position of authority and power, every, every political position, every, every other kind of rule. This is an office. So if we were to relate this to maybe a, 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 a picture that's common to us that we're familiar with, you know, this is like, like Paul is saying, Jesus, he will destroy every position of power, and one position of power is like the position of, say, a law enforcement officer. You know, there are law enforcement officers. There is a position of sheriff we vote on. And it's, this is the kind of power that he's talking about. He's talking about a position. There will be no positions of power that are not under the victory of Jesus that remain outside of his great victory that comes through his resurrection. There is no position of power. Then he goes on because it's not just every rule, but it's also every authority. And this word here, this is the Greek word exousia. and this is, this is the authority of jurisdiction or permission to rule. And so if we get back to the analogy of a law enforcement officer, this is the authority that comes with a badge. The authority of the badge. This is the authority that somebody has uh, that, that, is, that is a rightful authority over a certain area. There will be no authority... No exousia power or authority outside of the authority of Jesus. That means there, there will be no government authority. There will be no like, like hostile takeovers that come in that, that take this authority. The, the only authority out there will be the authority that belongs to Jesus. And then the last one. He will destroy every rule, every authority, and every power. This, this is the Greek word dunamis, and it's where we get the root for our word dynamite. This is the power of strength or might. Jesus is victorious over every kind of strength or might because here's the reality it doesn't matter what position of authority you have, you just your position of authority can't outlast an earthquake or being struck by lightning or the, or the, the might, the strength and might that we see in, in, in a disease like cancer or, or you know, like, like there is a kind of power that doesn't care about permission to rule, doesn't care about authority, doesn't care about any of this. And this is, this is what he's talking about here with this word power. It's strength or might or ability. So if we go back to the police officer, there may be criminals that don't respect the badge or the office, but the police officer is also equipped with training tools and even weapons that, that carry a kind of might and strength that, that can't be resisted. We see Jesus is victorious over every kind of strength and power and might in this world. And then, verse 26, look at this. The last enemy to be defeated is death. You know, it's interesting. All the other kinds of power and authority on this earth, they rest on their ability to bring us closer to death, right? Right? Jesus has defeated death itself. His power and authority rests on on the fact that he can carry us through death. He has been resurrected. His defeat is over even death itself. So that means, as, as Revelation says, there's gonna be no more mourning and no more tears, nothing left to fear because death itself no longer is the end. As he said earlier, that, that there are, if you're in Christ, you've simply fallen asleep. There is something new coming. The only kind of power and authority that's left over when Jesus is victorious is that which belongs to God. And it's expressed In the mighty love of Jesus, who stepped into your place to suffer on that cross and stepped into my place in the grave and then walked out of that tomb victorious over it all. There is no realm of power or authority outside of the victory of Jesus. Jesus is victorious. If he has been risen from the dead, he is victorious. And we see that that this victory reigns over all human and social and political realms. It reigns over the realm of destruction that we see in nature. The new heaven and the new earth will be a different kind of nature where there will no longer be destruction in the strength and might of terrible storms. No, because death itself will be gone. This is a complete victory. It's utter. It's thorough. There's no way that Paul could could have unpacked the victory of Jesus any more powerfully than he did right here. The kingdom of God will usher in a kind of reality that that is completely absent from any and every source of pain or suffering or injustice or violence. These things are not either, they're not like hidden or swept under the rug. They're actually defeated and gone. They are no more. In Jesus' resurrection, these things are defeated and they're destroyed. Isn't that great news? If it's true, if Jesus has been resurrected, he has a victory over all of the cosmos that, we, that our finite minds can hardly comprehend, and it gets even better. Because if you go back to the very beginning of verse 24, we see the, the, the third like, reality of his resurrection, and that is this. Not only is he victorious, but his victory becomes our victory. His victory becomes ours. Just like his resurrection is ours, his victory becomes our victory. Look what it says at the very beginning of verse 24. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. You see, Jesus Jesus has brought us into his kingdom when we trust him, when we belong to him. And then he's gonna deliver that kingdom to God the Father. We get to share in this victory. There is nothing in all of the heavens or the earth that we don't get to enjoy the victory of Jesus in when we belong to him. When we, as Dale talked about last week, not just agree with belief, not just agree with a set of ideas, but believe in the sense of trust and faith, and we rely upon Jesus as our only hope. We belong to him. We get to share in his victory. We get to become part of this kingdom that's delivered to God the Father. Now, here's where, if we're not careful, (laughs) we can get caught up, because look at the timing of this. Do you see when this delivery happens? Look, it says, then comes the end, verse 24, the end of all things. That's when the kingdom is delivered to the Father. That's when the the victory will be fully complete and fully carried out. Jesus delivers the kingdom to God at the end, and here's here's where our tendency is. We can get stuck as believers, as those who, who know this glorious truth. We have this tendency we have this tendency to focus most on and value most the things that are right in front of us. So, so here's just a guess. Just a guess. You've probably thought more about what you're going to do for dinner tonight than you have about the victory of Jesus and this coming delivery of his kingdom to God in the end at the apocalypse. Am I right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, you got a heavy week coming up at work. You got stuff happening at school. You got finals coming up. Like, we get so focused on what's right in front of us that we can miss the beautiful reality of this, that that his resurrection becomes our resurrection, that Jesus is victorious, his victory becomes our victory. These things can feel far away because the kingdom won't be delivered until the very end. And that's where I want to point us to something that's really cool. Look at Colossians 1, 13 to 14. I'll put it up here. You can flip over there with me if you'd like. If you look at Colossians 1, 13 to 14, we see this. It says, he has delivered us. This is Paul again, speaking of the work of Jesus. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's like the kingdom of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this has already happened. We could dig into the grammar of what he's saying right here and see this transfer has happened now. Though the kingdom will be delivered down the road into the Heavenly Father's hands, we get transferred into the new kingdom right now. This happens the moment you believe. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you get transferred out of this domain of darkness and sin and death and placed into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. It happens now. The rule, the authority and power of this domain of darkness no longer has this same hold over us. The strength and might that, that is in sin, that holds us fast, that sometimes, if you've struggled mightily with sin, you feel how it holds you, and you feel like it's got a strength that is outside of you, because it does. Jesus is victorious over that, and he has broken that, because right now, he's started gathering that kingdom. It'll be fully realized when he delivers the kingdom to the Father at the end, but right now, your transfer is complete. The minute you put your faith and trust in him we are free from that do you share in this victory today Do you have this victory over the darkness that's in your life today and the power that sin and your own selfishness has, the grip it has on your heart? Have you placed your faith and trust in the power of Jesus that that will bring us a resurrection, that, that gives us this victory we get to share? Have you made that confession of faith today, my friends? It starts today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. It happens, it can happen just like that. All you need to do is tell, tell the Lord in prayer in your heart that you believe that Jesus was sent for you, that he was resurrected, and that you want these things. Resurrection life, it starts today. And we see that in this passage in Colossians. It starts today. If you haven't done that and you want to do that, find me. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. I'll buy you lunch. I'll answer your questions. Find the person who brought you. Find a friend that you know loves you and has prayed for you. I want you to have this victory today because resurrection life, it starts today. For you and for me, it starts today. And if we look, you can can look even more here. Colossians chapter 3. This unpacks beautifully how resurrection life starts today. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ... If you have found faith in Jesus and you have received the work of Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. This is the imagery of baptism, of dying to your old life in sin. You have died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This resurrection life, it begins now. And there's steps that we can take right now to live in that victory of Jesus and start living in this resurrection life with Jesus work his power his victory we can start taking steps in victory I love it and so there's there's two steps I'm going to give you two steps and like I said this could be we could we could spend a whole series here but we're going to run through this today the first step is we get to mortify our sin. And that's a fancy way of saying we get to kill our sin, put it to death. If you keep reading here in Colossians chapter 3, this whole chapter unpacks for us what that looks like. Colossians 3, 5 to 9 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists all of these things sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is, Jesus is gonna bring victory over all these things. We wanna belong to him before that happens. This is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, put it away from your mouths, don't lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, we are invited to take a step today because Jesus has freed us from the domain of darkness. We can now step out of our sin. We can mortify it. We can put it to death. We are no longer defined by sin's power and victory over us. We are defined by this resurrection life that starts now. So how do you mortify your sin? I tell you what, sin can't survive out in the light. It thrives in the dark and in secret. We could go a million places in scripture, but I'm just gonna tell you, if you wanna mortify your sin, identify it, confess it to somebody else. Find a brother or a sister who loves you, who will pray for you, confess your sin, take this step in resurrection life, Put put it aside, put it to death. Set it aside. Step out of it. We don't need that anymore, and we're not bound to it anymore. Romans 6.11 puts it this way. says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself, that old self is gone and dead. We are alive in Christ Jesus. But don't stop there. Whatever you do, don't stop at just trying to mortify your sin and and get rid of the patterns in your life and the habits and things that encourage your sin. Don't stop there. You've got to fill your life with something else, with this resurrection life. And so after mortifying our sin, we need to fill the space in our lives with something else. You need to glorify your Savior. Live in a way that glorifies Jesus, who's won this victory who is resurrected and welcomes us into his resurrection as well. Look, if you keep reading Colossians, it's beautiful. We see this verses 12 to 14. It says, put on then, like you've taken off sin. Instead, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. If somebody has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord Christ has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's this beautiful picture. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Mortify your sin, glorify your Savior. We get to reflect the character of Christ in our daily choices but I love, and this is one of my favorite verses in this passage, verse 16. How do you do all that? Will you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? You see, God's word will transform us from the inside out. If we are going to walk in this resurrection life, we need to take a step to mortify our sin, confess it, get it out in the open, do away with, step away from everything that causes you, brings you into those old ways in the domain of darkness, and take steps to glorify your Savior by living a life that reflects the character of Christ and letting his word dwell in you, take up residence in you, dwell in you richly. Now around here, we love what the Word of God does through the power of his Holy Spirit as it transforms us. So I want to invite the ushers to hand something out. We like to give you resources to get into God's word and sometimes it can be difficult, it can be imposing to open up this book, but we want you to open this book. We want you to be in the word of God. So we, we did a, it had led you through a prayer journal that got you in the word of God every day throughout the season of Lent and I've got something else for you. Um, ushers, would you go ahead and hand this out? This is, It's just a bookmark you can tuck in your Bible. This is full of assurances of what it means that we are in Christ. The reality of the resurrection. And there's plenty more besides this. Here's 29 of them though. And these are assurances and they're paired with scripture references. This is a bookmark. Tuck in your Bible and use this. I've encouraged you every day, look at one of these scripture references. Get in God's word. Pray through this assurance that is here. These, the, if, if these things can take up residence, can dwell inside of us, as Colossians 3:16 says as part of the fruit of being raised with Christ, letting God's word dwell richly in us it will transform us and we can walk in this resurrection life that starts today um, this is a tool this was a, something that was part of a Bible reading plan that my wife and I have been using this year He reads truth and she reads truth and they gave us permission to share this with you and if you're interested in that they also they when I asked for permission they gave us a discount thing so you can can reach out we'll have that available in the office if you are interested in that but they gave us permission to share this tool because they want to see we want to see Christ wants to see his word dwell in you richly because this resurrection life it starts today you see if this is true if Jesus was truly raised from the dead we have these beautiful implications that his resurrection is ours he is victorious over Every power and authority and rule, and we get to share in this victory by living a resurrection life, and it starts now. We don't have to wait for the end. So, if you want to take a step to to put your faith and trust in Jesus in the first time today, it's very simple. Simply pray and tell God that you trust him. Grab somebody, grab me afterwards. i love to pray with you. If you today are like me sometimes and you get so focused on day-by-day life that, that you forget in your soul the beauty and the goodness of what it means to walk with Christ in this resurrection reality, I want to invite you to take these steps. Mortify your sin Glorify your Savior. Bury the word of Christ in your hearts. Let it dwell richly in you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need you. We trust you. We praise you that this amazing thing, this resurrection, is not just for Jesus, but he's just the first fruits of the beginning, that it's for us, and that his victory is also for us, and that this is all because of a love that we, we can just, just be, barely begin to understand. So, Lord, I pray today that you would move our hearts to trust and receive your love more and more and more, that we would, we would be transformed by the power of Jesus and the power of your word. Let us trust in his victory, Lord. I pray that we would live in a way that demonstrates that the sting of death is gone, that the victory of Christ is ours, and I pray that that it it would be a winsome kind of life that people would get to see and know the beautiful love of Jesus by the way we live. Help us to take these steps today. Help us to live this resurrection life that you have given us. I pray this in his name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.